Well, good morning, everyone. I was waiting for the ominous music to finish. That's very serious music. But welcome. We're so glad to have you here. My name is Taryn Howell, one of the pastors here on staff. And I want to say welcome to everybody in the room. Welcome everyone online, and then the biggest welcome, no offense everyone else, but the biggest welcome to all of our first-time guests. We are so glad to have you here with us. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for coming and trying us out, and we hope this place just feels like home to you and that you love it. So thank you for being here. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a series. We're three weeks in on a series called The Bait of Satan, and this is uh, based on a book written by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan, and we have already heard, so three weeks in, we've already heard some incredible stories of how this has affected your lives. And I just, I love it because there's a lot of great healing and freedom that is happening in this. And I want to ask something just very selfishly of you, if you don't mind. Would you do me a favor? If you have a story that you don't mind sharing, I won't make it public. That's okay, unless you want me to, but I might do that. But would you come and tell us, because we just are encouraged by this, and we would love, come and tell Rick or I about it. We would love to hear about it, because it's, it's awesome, some of the things that are taking place. I've read some of your posts online about, I just got my book in today, and they're reading through the book. And I just want to say, we're going through, we're taking six weeks on the series, but feel free to read the book. You, we might double up on some of it, but it's good enough material to really make sure you know it and know it well. So we started off, uh, week one was really just kind of introducing it. And if you have missed all of the weeks, then I'll, I'll kind of recap really quickly. But the bait of Satan is the trap of offense. That's what the bait of Satan is. It's, we, Satan tries to trap us in a lot of different ways through temptation and sin. But really, another way is through offense. When we are offended at somebody, we begin to grow cold and our love for Jesus even goes away. Over time, it will happen. You remember I had uh, to display this trap I had this awesome prop, you know, I, I, don't, I don't waste, you know, I spend hours getting them ready for you because I love you so much, and it was, it was this, maybe not hours, okay, it was, it was all this stuff was here already, but uh, I had a fishing pole with a cupcake on it, and remember, the, the hook was in the cupcake, and I said, this is what Satan does, he provides this to you. Well, if you remember, if you were here, I just had to mention this, I said that, I said it back down after here, and I kind of made this joke, like, if somebody wants to come and eat the cupcake afterwards, you can, well... We have some really adventurous high school guys. I was totally kidding. The cupcakes were like five days old. There was a rusty hook in it. I don't think they ate the hook. I don't know. But they ate the cupcake. And so I don't have a prop this week. So this is high school guys. This is why we can't have nice things. Okay. You. <laughs> I got such a kick out of it. I loved it so much. But I should have just held up the fishing pole with it empty. That would have been good too. But no, no. So th that was week one, talking about the trap of offense. And then Rick talked last week, and he kind of he brought it a little further, moved a little deeper, and talked about the story of Joseph. Now, if you don't know the story of Joseph, go back and reread it, the end of Genesis, uh, the last about 10 chapters around there, 37 to 48 or something. Uh, but it, Joseph uh, was somebody who lived a very innocent life. I mean, from what we can see, there wasn't a lot that Joseph really did wrong. We know he wasn't perfect, but there wasn't a whole lot he did wrong. But still, he experienced awful, awful betrayal in his life. I mean, nobody would look at his life and say, I want to do that. Uh, it's rough. But how he experienced that, how he handled that, is just incredible to see. And I think that's one of the worst types of offense whenever you're, you really are innocent, 
but then you're, you know, it still is against you. You still have things held against you, even in your innocence. And how he handled that was beautiful. So today we're going to dive a little deeper even and get a little more specific in talking about what I think is possibly even a, a even more worse type of offense. And that is offense that comes from a father or mother or really not necessarily a birth father or mother, but a, a, a spiritual father or mother. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. Not really about offense in itself, but for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. Sometimes it says few, a few spiritual fathers. You don't have many. And when somebody who is in a leadership position over you offends you, the hurt is so much deeper. When it's somebody you've really looked up to. And so the person we're going to talk about today, who I think sets the best example of this, who John Bevere talks about in this, and I I think the story goes really well along, is King David. So, But before we get into the story of King David, if you will, let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this message, and I pray that it would resonate on our hearts, the message about David and Saul and what we're supposed to learn from it. Help us to, to take what we need to do and transform our own lives so that we can be free from offense, uh, so that we can be a, a group, a, a church of unoffendable people because we're so in love with you and we keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, give me the words to say today. Let them not be my words, but your words, and that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our minds as we go through this message. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So David, one of the most amazing people in the Bible that you get to read about, and you get a lot of information about David, uh, is called, there's something that he is called that no one else in the whole Bible is called, and it's a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 13, it's repeated again in Acts. That, you know, God tells the prophet Samuel, it's like, it's time for King Saul, he's got to go, his lineage will end, and I'm bringing in, I want to bring in someone who is a man after my own heart. Now, that's something that we all want to be, a man or a woman after God's own heart, and it's one thing to really pursue that. It's another thing for God himself to say that about somebody. It's really incredible. And so what does, but what does that mean for us? Like how, how was David a man after God's own heart, and how can we repeat that, and how can we you know, be influenced by that? I think one of the things that David, one of the reasons God said this about David is because of the way that he treated Saul. So the way that he treated Saul, so we're going to go through this story of David becoming king and Saul, and it, this is a, there's a lot of chapters to cover here, so we're going to kind of do the, the cliff note version of it to get through it. But if you... I've heard this story many times. Hopefully, I'm given enough information that it'll be a good refresher. And if you've never heard it before, hopefully, I give enough information that you can really stay along with it. So if you want to, go ahead and open up your Bibles or get out your sermon notes. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16 is where we'll start. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel most of the time. So 1 Samuel 16. So Saul, uh, God tells Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel, the, the guy who will be the next king. And he says, go to the house of Jesse. And so here we are. We pick up in this story where Samuel is, has arrived at the house of Jesse. And this is in 1 Samuel 16. And we read, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is one of David's older brothers, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He must have been strong, good looking, you know. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema, I'm sure I'm butchering the names a little bit, pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord uh, chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now, don't give Jesse too hard of a time here. I got eight kids, and sometimes if you ask me, like, these are your kids, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, there's two missing. You know, it's okay. That's what happens sometimes. Uh, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He didn't even, you know, didn't even really think about him. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So we start off the story. Saul is not doing a great job. He's messing up on some things. Samuel goes to anoint David. And just to, to skip ahead a little bit, a couple of things happen right after this. David goes and one of the most popular stories we read about, we know about David and Goliath. David goes and Goliath is, you know, the Philistine, the bad guys in the Philistine army. Goliath is standing out in the field, you know, tearing down Israel and uh, tearing down God and making fun of and, and everything. And so David arrives there. He ends up fighting Goliath. Well, first he says, well, what's the prize for this? And so Saul's like, I have one of my daughters in marriage for whoever kills Goliath. So he goes and he, he kills Goliath. Uh, and he begins to just grow in favor with Saul. Saul invites him to be one of his armor bearers. He eventually gets to be, uh, eat at Saul's table. So this a, that's a big deal to eat at the table of the king, to be heard by the king. And so probably in David's mind, he's thinking, I'm marrying Saul's daughter. I you know, killed Goliath. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well known now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting closer to Saul He's mentoring me, he's building me up, he's raising me up. Probably in David's mind, the Bible doesn't say this, you can assume though, probably he's thinking, wow, this has fallen right in line. Like I was anointed to be king, and then all these wonderful things are happening, so I'm moving towards that, and really excited about this. This is pretty easy, you know, like it's, it's going pretty smoothly. What could go wrong, you know, and, and, and so things are going good for David, thinking that this is the path that God has him on and, you know, it's all working out. And then there's a, a major turn of events where, which totally changes the character of Saul. And, and Saul kind of goes in and out of this uh, craziness and then this very loving father figure to David and then back into craziness. But this, this one event in Samuel, 1 Samuel 18 said, When the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the, woman came, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced there, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. 
that'll do it right there. <laughs> that, that line, like, okay, I don't know if I like that song. And, and look at Saul's response. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Some of your versions will say God kept a, a jealous eye, which I actually think is probably a, he was already keeping a close eye on David. Him and David were already close, but a jealous eye on David. He saw David very differently. He saw him as, the, I believe this is the time when he first realized, oh, maybe this is the guy that's going to take over the throne. What else can I give him but the kingdom? And so Saul's whole demeanor towards David changes. His actions, his attitude, everything about Saul changes. Uh, and he begins to, you know, David is, is playing music for Saul uh, to calm him down at times. And more than one time, Saul throws a spear at him and tries to pin David to the wall, tries to kill David with the spear, which I think, like, it would only take one time for me. I'd be, like, I, I'm out. I'm not playing music for you anymore. This isn't a good idea. But, I, you know, it's all right. David was very, he's wonderful, honorable. And, but Saul begins to try and kill David. He begins to hunt David down. David has to flee for his life. And in the middle of his fleeing, there are, there are several things that happen. And, and I want you to get a picture of this. David loved, respected, looked up to Saul Saul then became so offended himself and so jealous himself that he tries to kill David. He ends up hunting David down, and most scholars believe this is about 13 years that he did this. This wasn't like, I'm really upset for a day or two, and then we got over it. And for 13 years, David was in hiding. So that's 13 years of, you know, weddings of friends and birthdays and all, all these things that David did not get to see. And to give you an idea of how much of a lunatic Saul became during this and how crazy he became. At one point, David goes to the city of Nob and there's a lot of priests there and he is, is, doesn't have any food, doesn't have any weapons or anything, so they feed him. He's given, they ask for a weapon, they ended up giving him the sword of Goliath, which is just kind of crazy that he ends up getting the same sword that he used to, you know, eventually chop off Goliath's head and, you know, just crazy. He gets this sword and then he leaves. Well, Saul comes later and finds out that David, uh, that these priests of, at the city of Nob had helped David just to give you a picture of how crazy he is. Saul ends up killing all the priests. He kills all their wives, all their children, and all the livestock because they helped David. They didn't even know. They were, I mean, they were completely innocent in it because David kind of lied to him about it, about, oh, yeah, I'm here on an errand for Saul. But Saul is such a tyrant and has so much hate in his heart towards David that he wipes out a city of his own people and the livestock. I mean, I'm like, what did the cow do? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But he kills everything. I don't want anything living because they helped David. And so at, at this point in the story, you think, all right, God, when are we taking Saul out of the picture? Well, come on. It's, you know, we anointed David a couple of chapters ago, and now we're still reading about this. Saul's still chasing him. What is going on? Uh, and there's a couple of times when opportunities come up for David to take this revenge out on Saul. I want to read one of these, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about both of them, but I want to read one of them. So 1 Samuel 24, this is 
This is a little later on in David's running and hiding and, you know, staying away from Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 3 through 11, if you're turning there. At the place where the road passes, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. He's going to the bathroom when you got to go. You got to go. It's all right, you know, even kings, you know. Uh, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. This is one of the funniest parts of it. I, I just, like, picture you, like, you're in the, hiding in the cave from Saul, and he comes in to use the bathroom. Anyways, I'll move on. We won't dwell on that. Uh, and then, now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My lord the king, and when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you? See, I think David, David still thought at this point that, well, Saul's listening to some other people who think that I'm against him, and, and I don't think David even really understood that this was an evil spirit that the Bible talks about in, in Saul. This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you, for I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, there's that word, father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. Now, this is just wild here. To think that David has been on the run, I don't know how many years at this point, but been on the run for his life. Saul has in multiple times tried to kill him. And David spares his life. And I want to go back and look at this, uh, this first part of First Samuel twenty-four three, or in chapter or verse four. Look at what the men around David say. I, I, th- I think this is so interesting. Now's your opportunity. So it's like the God has blessed you with this chance to kill Saul, and they even go as far to say to speak on behalf of the Lord. Today, the Lord is telling you. Now, they were wrong, right? Listen, sometimes when we are deeply offended, we want to bring other people, or sometimes it's a group of people that are offended, and you want to bring other people into that, and you can be so blinded by your offense that you can think God is telling you to do something that he's not. You can think that God is, it, no, this is from the Lord that I take vengeance. This is from the Lord that I step in and intervene. God doesn't want to take care of it himself. I'm going to step in and do it. And we can, be, we can miss this so clearly. And I think when it comes to a leader in our life, we can do this even faster. Someone who has deeply, deeply offended us. There, there comes another time. Oh, I don't have this one on here. At 1 Samuel, so two chapters later, 1 Samuel 26 where it says that the Lord put Saul's army to sleep. So they're out there sleeping, 
it's, it, you know, it's another test for David. And David takes one guy with him, Abishai. And Abishai, he must have been like, I just imagine him as this like super ripped buff dude. Like he, I, I don't know, because you, he, it says that he is standing there and Abishai says in 1 Samuel 26, 8, God has surely handed your enemy. So he's standing over Saul. Saul's sleeping on the ground. Abishai is holding a spear. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. Oh, he's so buff. You know, I won't, and he says, I won't need to strike twice. David, just give the word. I'm ready. Please give the word. This is, you know, you ever see those movies and like, like a horror movie or something and like Jason or Freddy is like chasing everybody the whole time or something, I don't know. Somebody's chasing them the whole time and killing them and then finally they fight and they kind of get the bad guy and they're laying there and we all know they're not really dead. Like they're gonna get back up and we're, we're in the audience thinking, will you just shoot him again? Okay, like just kick him or something a couple more times. Like they're gonna get back up and I think this is what was going on in Abishai's mind. Like David, you know if we don't kill him, He's going to continue to come after us. We have to do something. God is ordaining this moment for us. God is putting this on our path. And David refused to dishonor somebody and to hurt somebody who God put in authority over him, even if he wasn't acting the way that God required of him. Okay, it, it, this is wild, but it gets, David's response gets even wilder. So you, we skip forward a couple more chapters. Saul does eventually die, not from David or from his men, but he's uh, in battle, he gets wounded, and he ends up killing himself. It says he fell on his own sword. His armor bearer didn't want to do that, didn't want to kill him, so he killed himself. And David gets word of this. And so this is all the way in 2 Samuel now. 2 Samuel chapter 1. David gets word that Saul and Jonathan are both dead. This guy comes and tells David, hey, I, I, saw, I, I saw Saul, and he asked me to put him out of his misery. And so I did it. I put him out of his misery with the spear. And so he, he's lying here. He's not really telling the truth. But I think what's going on is he's trying to get a little credit. Like, David's about to be king. I want to look good to the new king. We know David's about to be, you know, he's, he's next in line. I want to look good, and David will think, way to go. Now I don't have to be on the run anymore. And David's response is so incredibly shocking to me. When, I mean, you really read the whole story. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so we go to 2 Samuel 1. It says, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. So as soon as they hear the news about Saul and Jonathan, they mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan. That, that does not sound like somebody who's deeply offended mourned, wept, and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel. David said to the young man who brought him the report, where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, foreigner an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? In other words, David was afraid to do that. David didn't want to do that. Why weren't you afraid? Then David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. So David kills the guy who brings him the good news or what we would say is good news, right, about Saul and Jonathan. Uh, For David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. And then David gets even a little crazier here. 
Verse 17, David took up his lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. The, the next about 10 to 15 verses, I didn't think we'd have time to go over all of it. David writes out a song and orders, he orders the people of Judah to sing this song as a, as a mourning. It's like a funeral song over the death of Saul and to honor Saul and Jonathan. Now, you would think if somebody were chasing you to kill you for 13 years, you would be rejoicing at this time. This would be, let's have a feast, let's celebrate. Why don't we take a day off? I mean, we've been running for a while. Let's, you know, and, and David orders everyone, no, we honor those who God anointed, who God had put in place. And so what does this, you know, what does this say for us? You know, looking at this story, it, it's, re it's really a wild story. I mean, this is pretty crazy how David interacted with Saul this whole time. And so I want to point out, I want to talk about five steps towards freedom. Because I think we're all, you know, we're, we're doing this every week, these five steps towards freedom. Uh, I think we, if we were honest with ourselves, have somebody that's in leadership or in authority, maybe a father figure, a spiritual father, spiritual mother. Maybe it's just our boss. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe a parent. I don't know what it is, but somebody in authority in some way over us that we have been deeply offended by. And David's story gives us, it shows us so clearly how to respond to that. And if you've never been responded by somebody in, or, or offended by somebody in authority over you, just wait. It will happen. <laughs> like just give it some time. It will happen. And David shows us how to respond. So I, uh, these five steps towards freedom that John Bevere gives us. Uh, I, I want to go over these and really think about this through the lens of who King David is and was throughout this whole scenario. So the first one, and this is on the back of your notes if you want to fill this in, the first one is to know your leaders. Know your leaders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to appreciate those who diligently work among you. Recognize, acknowledge, and respect your leaders who are in charge over you in the Lord and who give you instruction. And we ask that you appreciate them and hold them in the highest esteem and love because of their work on your behalf. Live in peace with one another. I, I find this interesting that it's like you should esteem these people and respect them, but also live in peace with them. <laughs> it's like... I know that there might be some controversy at some time, and so make sure to live in peace. So when I say know your leaders, I, I think the best way to explain this is uh, you really do just need to, I, I would even sit and write out a list. You don't have to do this now, but uh, maybe some homework for you to do is write out who are all the people that are in authority over me in some way. Like in some way, it could be uh, somebody, a politician even, you know, where the Bible talks about this, over the people over the land. Whether you love them or you hate them, uh, they're in that position of authority. Uh, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a parent, a teacher, you know. Who are all the people that God has put in authority over you? Because we all have somebody. Who are the people that God has put in authority over you? And no, I would even just say no also that they are more likely to offend you than the average person, right? There, there, there's the chance of offense coming from them is greater. If you go to church here and I'm one of your pastors, then the likelihood even that I will offend you, I mean, think about how many times people have been offended by church leaders. 
it's very high because these are people that you, you look up to, but they're also just know that they're human. Like we mess up, we get it wrong. I feel like more often than I get it right, right? And so, the, you know, know that these people have potential to offend you. So write them out. Who, who are these people? And then step two is not to fear these people, but to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Proverbs 19.23 says, Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. So when you think about David's story, you think about, well, who did he fear more? He did run away from Saul, but he, he definitely feared God more than he feared Saul. Otherwise, he would have killed Saul when he had the opportunity. He knew that my, my highest form of accountability is with God, is with the Lord. And this is the same in every area of our lives. This is why we have to be people of integrity, that we don't... We don't cheat on our taxes just because we can get away with it or something. Like we, don't, we don't do those things just because we can get away with it because our accountability is to the Lord. We fear the Lord in everything. Number three is cultivate godly character. Cultivate godly character. I think when we look at the life of David, you know, David... Early on, in the pit, when David comes on the scene, one of the first things we see about him is that he is anointed to be king. And so he had this calling on his life to be king. And just like we all have callings on our lives of specific things that God wants us to do and places to go and people to be, you know. And so he had this calling on his life. And David could have easily justified that well, even if my character isn't 100%, my call, I'm working towards my calling. If I kill Saul, I'll be into my calling. I'll be the king. Uh, but he knew that my character is even greater than my calling. And so he worked very hard to develop this and cu cultivate this godly character. I mean, think about how he did not even, he didn't even really talk bad about Saul. You know, when I'm offended, so that's the first thing I want to do is, you know what they did? And, you know, you know and, and get other people to come on, come on and be upset with me, right? Join me in this. But David had such godly character, he refused to do that. And then, uh, oh, so I'm sorry, I didn't read this one. Philippians 1.11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So this goes along with uh, cultivate godly character. And then step four, honor those in authority. Honor those in authority. Psalm 75, 7 says, For promotion and power come from nowhere on earth, but only from God. He promotes one and deposes another. So that list that we're making of all these people in authority, we honor those people Really, no matter what. And you can see example after example of this in the Bible. I mean, you, you talk about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, how, you know, they're, they're in Babylon, and even though they refused to bow down, uh, they still were respectful in the way they did it and very honoring in the way they did it. So it's like, it's not giving in to everything that the world says, but also still honoring the position that that person is in. This is a hard thing to do. But honoring, honoring those in authority because God put them there. Even if you don't think they should be there, right? And then step five is keep yourself in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I think this last one is really just about being grounded in the Lord. 
you know, because we are going to experience offense. We are going to have leaders and people in authority over us that we're going to be easily offended by. But the more grounded we are in God, the more likely we are to resist that, to stay away from that. So these there are five steps this time to freedom. And I've got, I got one point I really want us to land on, one, one point and then one last verse. And we talked at the beginning about David is a man after God's own heart. We want to be men and women after God's own heart. And so... My last point to, to go away with is David was a man after God's own heart because he honored the position, not the behavior. He honored the position and not the behavior. So when we look at our own lives, how does this fit into our lives? I think if we were really honest, if we kind of went and asked each person here about, okay, tell me about a time that somebody and authority over you, offended you, you thought you had this great relationship, you thought things were going good, and then they did something to you, whether you deserved it, whether you didn't deserve it, and, and, you know, and what we want to do in response to that is to gossip about them, is to expose them for all the wrong that they are. And, and I'm not saying that there's never a time to fight back either. I believe we, just, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit in that. But David showed us very clearly that no matter what, God put this person in control and in charge, and so God is the one to remove him when God wants to remove him. And I'm going to rely on God to do that. It's about trusting him. It's, it, the last verse I have, if the worship team wants to come up, the last verse I have from 1 Peter, Peter says almost the exact same thing. I feel like it really fits well into this. You know, the one of the leaders of the church, if not the leader of the church at this time, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. You're, and just so you know, you're either a slave to God or a slave to the world and to Satan. So it's, it's one of those. So you're, you've chosen to be one of God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect and honor the king. So when I read this, I think, respect everyone, okay, I can do better at that, right? I can, I can work on that. Love the family of believers. All right, that's a little easier. Uh, fear God. Okay, I got that. And then respect and honor the king. I think when Peter wrote this, I bet people paused on this last part because the king at the time was Herod Agrippa. This was, this was somebody who murdered Christians. It's like, wait, whoa, Paul or Peter, what, hold on just a second. <laughs> why, are you, why are you saying this? What is this about? And I think Peter's mindset was the same as David's here. You honor the position, you, you show respect to that position, even if you don't agree with everything that they're doing. And you, you pray really for God to intervene and to show you how to move forward in that. So as we head out today, I, I want to just ask you to take some time to think about this. I would go and discuss this with your family. What, where, who is it in your life, or is there somebody in your life right now that you really are holding offense against, that you really are having a hard time with. Maybe it's somebody in a position of authority over you. Maybe it's not. But ask God to lead you in that and to lead you in reconciliation and redemption of that relationship. So I'm going to pray for us, and then as we got this last song of worship, and then we have communion prepared for you on the way out. And communion, really, this is a time we're just remembering simply what Jesus did for us. That Jesus was willing to forgive us in the middle of our offense, right? And so we, we too should be willing to forgive others. That we remember what Jesus did on the cross as he died, and we honor him in that. Let's pray together as we close out.